following is a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more information on Shaw, for our teaching resources, visit www.shaw.org.nz. For this morning, we're in Acts chapter 27, and here is a presentation of this story from the book of Acts. Paul's journey to Rome, Acts 27 and 28. Paul was a prisoner in Caesarea near Jerusalem. Some of the Jews had accused him of doing wrong, so he wanted to sail to Rome to have his case tried there. Julius, a centurion, was in charge of getting Paul and the other prisoners to Rome. Luke and Aristarchus, Paul's friends, decided to join Paul on the journey. Paul's boat sailed along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. At the port of Myra, Julius found a grain ship from Egypt that was going to Rome. He transferred his prisoners to the ship. Winds were not favourable for sailing west, so they sailed south. The crew anchored south of the island of Crete, but by now it was winter, a dangerous time to sail. Paul met with the captain, the owner of the ship, and Julius. If we continue this voyage, there will be damage to the ship, a loss of cargo, and possible loss of life, Paul warned. But the owner and the captain wanted to sail to a safer harbour. Julius followed their advice. When a south wind blew, the sailors saw their chance to leave. Not long after they set sail, however, the ship was caught in a terrible storm. The sailors could not control the direction of the ship, so they let the ship ride with the wind. The sailors tied ropes around the ship to strengthen it and keep it from falling apart. As the storm continued, the ship was in danger of sinking because of its heavy cargo. The next day, the crew began to lighten the ship by throwing cargo overboard. The third day, they threw out some of the sailing gear. When the storm grew worse, the men could see neither the sun nor the stars, so they did not know where they were going or in which direction they were going. Eventually, they gave up hope surviving the storm. Again. Paul met with the captain, the owner, and Julius. You should have listened to me, Paul said. But cheer up. An angel of God told me that I would arrive in Rome and everyone on board would survive. The ship, however, will be destroyed. I believe what God has said will happen. But first, we must run aground on a certain island. At midnight, on the 14th night of the storm, the sailors determined that they were close to land. They didn't want to crash on the rocks, so they threw four anchors off the back of the boat and waited for morning. Meanwhile, the sailors decided to save themselves. They started to lower the rowboat, pretending to attach anchors to the front of the boat. Paul saw them and told Julius that unless everyone stayed on the boat, they would die. Julius gave the soldiers orders to cut the rope and let the rowboat fall into the sea. Paul promised everyone that they would not die. Then he took bread, thanked God for it, and instructed all 276 people on board to eat. In the morning, the crew saw that they were anchored near the bay with a beach. They let go of the anchors and steered the ship towards the bay. But the ship got stuck in the sand, and soon the waves started to break up the back of the ship. Soldiers wanted to kill the prisoners so they would not escape, but Julius stopped them. Julius told everyone who could to swim to the shore.
Then he told those who could not swim to float towards land on pieces of the ship. Everyone did as he said and made it to the island called Malta. Since it was raining, the islanders made a fire so that the men from the ship could get warm. As Paul threw some wood on the fire, a poisonous snake bit him on the hand and hung on to him. Paul shook the snake into the fire. Islanders were convinced that Paul was a murderer and was being punished. When Paul did not die, they decided he must be some kind of god. But it was actually God's power that kept Paul from dying. Paul and the rest of the prisoners and crew stayed on the island for three months. During that time, Paul healed many of the sick and shared the gospel with the lost. After winter, Paul sailed to Rome where he stayed in his own rented home under a guard's watch. This morning we're continuing our series in the book of Acts, this book that tells the story of the first three decades after the life of Jesus. We've almost finished this book now, just a couple of chapters to go. And this chapter we're looking at this morning, Acts chapter 27, is a particularly unique and fascinating part of the story of Acts. It tells the story of this sea voyage that the Apostle Paul takes from Israel all the way to Italy. Paul, at this point in the story, is a prisoner. He's a prisoner of Rome, and he's appealed to Caesar. So he's awaiting trial before Caesar's court in the city of Rome. Uh, But to get there, he's got to get across the Mediterranean Sea. And so the Roman officials put Paul, the prisoner, on board a ship. And this was a huge vessel. I mean, the ship, we are told, had 276 people aboard. So it's a major operation. You would have had a whole lot of prisoners on this ship with Paul, You would have had a lot of Roman soldiers to keep an eye on the prisoners. You would have had the crew, the sailors there as well. And this ship sets out from the port of Caesarea in Israel and makes its way to Italy. The first part of the journey goes okay, and and they, they are sailing at this point probably in early autumn. And so the conditions are not too bad. But the voyage starts to take longer than they anticipated, and the weather starts to get worse, and eventually the storm comes and just starts hammering this ship and they are being tossed around and pummeled by this huge storm. They try everything. They're throwing cargo overboard. They're trying to maneuver the ship, do everything they possibly can, but the storm goes on for day after day after day. This this ship is being thrown around and eventually they give in to the elements and they just let this storm carry them wherever it's going to take them. And so as you plot the journey of this ship, they they then get carried across the Mediterranean Sea, south of Greece, and then south of Italy, and they eventually hit a sandbar just off an island called Malta, which is probably part of the Maltese Islands. And so there, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the storm, all the passengers on board this ship then have to try and get from the wreckage wreckage of this ship to safe ground, to dry land. And at this point, the Roman soldiers want to just kill all the prisoners to prevent them from escaping. But the Roman centurion has so much respect for Paul that he prevents them from doing that. He wants to spare Paul's life, so he spares the life of all the prisoners. So everyone just has to make a swim for it. They grab onto whatever wreckage they can find. They try to get their way to shore. And when finally, all those who make it to shore are counted, miraculously, All 276 passengers on board that ship survive. 
and from there it's just a short journey to the city of Rome, which was Paul's final destination. It's a pretty harrowing story, and it's really worth reading the chapter in all of its detail. Luke tells it with all the, the dramatic flair of someone who really was there, as, as Luke was, and you're really drawn into the action of the story. But as you look at it as a whole, what really strikes me about this story is the way that the character of this man, Paul, comes to the fore. I mean, this is a real crisis. This is a, a crisis for Paul and for every person on board this ship. Their lives really were in imminent danger. And as often so, so often the case in crisis situations, Paul's character comes to the surface. And what you see with Paul in this situation is a man who is facing outwards to the needs of others. A man who is concerned with, with what is going on around him and where other people are at. I mean, I think if it was me, I'd just be hunkering down somewhere in a room in the bottom of the ship, just pleading with God for the storm to be over. And maybe Paul did a bit of that too, we don't know. But as, as Luke tells the story, Paul here is a person who is constantly engaging with other people. He's making sure others are okay. He's serving people. He's encouraging people. He's blessing other people. At times, he's, he's trying to motivate and challenge other people. Later on, he's praying for them. He was a man who was always thinking of the other and not just himself. I think there are some connections that we can draw from this story into our own lives and our situation today. In some ways, our world at the moment is going through a storm. I mean, it's not a literal storm, but it's the storm of a pandemic. I mean, COVID-19 is like the storm that is inflicting the world at the moment. And we are a bit like this vessel that is just being blown and tossed around on the open sea. You don't quite know how much longer this storm has got to go. We don't know how long this pandemic is going to last. Uh, it's hard to have much visibility in this storm. You just can't see much further ahead of you because of all of the uncertainty and, and things often changing so quickly. This is very much a crisis that our world is going through. It may not feel like a personal crisis for us, but certainly at a global level, it is. And in the midst of this storm that our world is going through, the most natural response, I think the most instinctive response, is for us to turn inward. I mean, it's, it's for us really just to look at ourselves and to focus only on our own patch and our own immediate family and my interests and my security and my concerns. But as you listen to this passage and you hear the story, there is a call here to focus not only on ourselves, but also to look to the interests of others, to look outside of ourselves, to get outside our own heads sometimes and look at what is going on around us and look to the needs of others. That's what Paul shows us. Because the Christian faith has so much to offer at a time like this. We follow a saviour who was not concerned about himself, but constantly moved towards others and served others with love, with compassion, with grace, giving dignity. That's what Paul is modelling here. And that's what we are called to model. And, and I know you may feel like that's just all too much to think about. You may feel like you're already overwhelmed by life at the moment. And there's enough going on with, with family, with work, with whatever. And you just can't think about much else. And that's totally understandable. But just remember, this was also a crisis for Paul. I mean, Paul himself was in the middle of it here too. It wasn't just a problem for everyone else. Paul was in the middle of the storm. I'm sure he was struggling 
as well. And yet, in the midst of that storm, there was something about Paul that enabled him to turn towards others and look out for the needs of others, even in the midst of his own personal crisis. And I want to show you what that was and where Paul got the resources to do this. Have a look at this story. Have a look at verse 23. Paul here is speaking to the passengers aboard the ship. And he says to them, Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar, and God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So here's Paul receiving this incredible angelic visitation. He received a few visitations in his time. This angel comes and stands beside Paul and calls him not to be afraid. And literally, the words that the angel uses there are, fear not, fear not. That is a phrase that God uses right throughout the Bible, time after time after time. Hundreds of times in the Bible, God says to people, fear not, fear not, fear not because I am with you. Fear not because I will uphold you. Fear not, I am for you. Throughout the Old Testament and the New, God is constantly calling people to fear not. And that's what he says to Paul here. Paul is strengthened by that assurance that God is with him and calling him not to fear. And then you look at the very next thing that Paul does. Then he can turn to the passengers and say to them in verse 25, So keep up your courage, men. And this is what he says. He, He can rally the troops Because Paul is drawing his courage from God. It's not coming from nowhere. Paul's strengthened by God so that he can strengthen others. That's the model. I mean, at the moment, there's a lot of fear in the world. There's a a lot of fearful people. There's a lot of worried people. There's a lot of very anxious people. And that's all totally normal, totally understandable. But sometimes I think that fear gets stoked. Sometimes it gets stoked through the media through sensational headlines, it gets stoked through social media, things that fuel the fear and the paranoia. Sometimes I think, unfortunately, it gets stoked by Christians. Sometimes, unfortunately, Christians can be agents of fear. And we can run around like headless chickens, just sowing the the paranoia out there and and causing others to, to be more afraid than they need to be. But this is a moment when the world needs to see the church as a non-anxious presence. Sure, we're going to have times of feeling anxious. We're going to have times of feeling unsettled. But we need to be able deeply to hear these words that the angel said to Paul addressed to us. Fear not. Fear not. We need to have that conviction, first and foremost ourselves, that in the middle of the storm, Jesus is with us. He's here. He's in the boat with us. It doesn't mean he's going to stop the storm necessarily. It doesn't mean it's all just going to be immediately solved and all of our problems are going to be fixed. But it means in the middle of whatever storm we're going through and in the middle of this pandemic, God is right here with us. And he is saying to us, fear not. Now, when you can hear those words addressed to your own heart, that sets you free. And it sets you free no longer to be an agent of fear, but to be an agent of love. It sets you free to be able to serve others. This is the result, just like Paul. Because as long as you're bound up in fear, as long as you're fundamentally afraid and and fueled by 
paranoia or worry or anxiety, as long as that's what's driving you, where's your focus going to be? On you. It's just going to be on, on you. It's going to be in, in your own little insular world. But if you can allow God to set you free from that fear, if you can allow God's perfect love to cast out fear, then you'll be set free to love others. You'll be set free to serve others, to show compassion, to be tuned in to what other people around you are going through and to be able to respond to those needs as you're aware of them, as they arise. We've got some friends who are living at the moment in a country in Asia that is being hit pretty hard by COVID-19 and they've sent through newsletters where they've communicated about what they've been going to do in the middle of that situation and, and how God's been leading and guiding them to respond. I want to read you a little extract of what they've sent through. They've said, in the current situation, we've been praying how best to serve the people here. Leaving and returning home is not an option, with the borders here closed for travel anyway. We spent time as a family yesterday looking at what scripture says about fear and being afraid. I was challenged by the fact that over and over again we read that we're not to be afraid because God is with us. Then this morning we received a request for help from our pastor to help take brothers and sisters who are sick with COVID-19 to get tests done and help them get the care and medication they need. We prayed about this, we talked about it as a family, and we all agreed that this is something that we should do. So there's a family that is learning from God that they don't need to be afraid because Jesus is with them. And out of that, they're being compelled to serve. Out of that, they're seeing the needs that are there and they are moving towards those needs with love and with compassion. These are the kinds of people that we need to be. It begins in our own heart. If we're going to be any use to anyone else, we first need to hear those words of God addressed to us. Fear not. We need to know and believe that God is with us, He is for us, and He will strengthen us. Only then can we really be set free from being an agent of fear to being an agent of love. Now, let me look for a minute with you at how this works itself out for Paul in terms of serving the needs of others around him. How, how does this actually look in everyday life? Look at this episode that happens in verse 33. Just before dawn... Paul urged them all to eat. For the last 14 days, he said, you have been in constant suspense and have, have gone without food. You haven't eaten anything. Now I urge you to take some food. You need it to survive. Not one of you will lose a single hair from his head. So you see Paul here, even though he was a man of many visions, and even though he had lofty ideas, at this point he is extremely practical. I mean, he is incredibly pragmatic at this point. He stands before these passengers. He doesn't give them a big theological speech. He doesn't even give them this great gospel presentation or use a whole lot of spiritual language. At this point, Paul offers these passengers something incredibly practical, something tangible, something very physical. He offers them a piece of bread. It's as simple as that. It's an everyday thing. But Paul knew these were people that hadn't eaten for two weeks. And morale was low and their physical strength was low. And, and the most pressing need that they had, the most obvious need that they had was for food. And so that's exactly where Paul meets them. He meets them at their point of need. And this is how it is to be with us as Christians. We don't want to just be people of words. 
We don't want to just be people who pray for others from a distance. It's wonderful to pray for others, but we want to back up those words with action. The Bible calls us to this. The book of James says, if you say to someone, go, I wish you well, stay warm and well-fed, but do nothing about their physical needs, what good is that? We don't want to just be people of words. We want to be people who work that out in everyday life in really practical, ordinary ways of serving others at their point of need. And it can look like so many different things. It can look like something as simple as journeying alongside someone else who is going through a difficult time and looking for opportunities to encourage them, maybe slipping some grocery vouchers into their letterbox if you know that they're struggling financially, maybe tapping into our relief fund, which has got real capacity to help people out financially who are struggling. Sometimes even just connecting by, by text with people who are going through a difficult time to encourage them. People are so starved of encouragement these days. Let people know that you're thinking of them. It might be that, that someone needs some work done in their section that they're not physically able to do. Maybe you could be the one that goes around and, and gives them a hand. Maybe if, if the alert levels allow, you could take that person out for coffee. Just to be a listening ear, to be a friend to them. Look for those ways of being practical of being encouraging, of meeting people at their point of need. I'm not talking about going against any public health guidelines, but just doing what we can to be a practical presence of kindness and love in the lives of other people. Who is around you at the moment that you could move towards with some compassion and some practical acts of service? And not just in a one-off sense, but maybe you could journey with that person over that season. Just like Paul journeyed with these passengers through the storm, who is it in your life, who's coming across your path that you could journey with and serve in some practical, ordinary ways? Be tuned into that. Be aware of that. Be asking God to show you where those needs are. And when they arise, be brave, take the step, and respond. And let me point out one other way in which Paul served people in this story. In verse 35, it reads, After he said this, he took some bread, and he gave thanks to God in front of them all, and then he broke it and began to eat. Now, you think about those words, it might sound a little bit familiar to you, and if it does, that's a good thing, because these are very close to the words of Jesus. When, when Jesus himself on the night that he was betrayed, had that meal with his disciples. He took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke that bread, and he gave it to his disciples. The words are very similar. And so what is happening here, it's not that Paul is trying to have a communion service on the boat. It's not that he's passing out the bread and the wine and, and reading scripture to them. But I think Paul is just simply seeking to bring the presence of Christ into the situation to mediate the presence of Jesus to the passengers on board because he doesn't just want this to be a purely physical experience. He also wants this to be spiritual. He also wants them to have a sense of Christ's presence with them, with him. Even the way that Paul prays at this point, and Luke makes a point of telling us that he gave thanks in front of them all. So Paul didn't hide his faith away in the shadows but he allowed it to come to the fore, and he allowed his faith to be seen. He didn't shove anything down anyone's throat. He didn't force anyone to do anything, but he just wore his faith like a garment. He just allowed it to be on display. And this is who we're called to be. You know, there's many 
social service agencies in our communities that are doing great work. There's many organizations that are doing really good social work in our communities. But what sets the church apart, what sets Christians apart, is that we do this in Jesus' name. And that as we serve people, we bring our faith with us. We don't leave it behind. We don't leave it lurking in the shadows. But we bring it with us right into those encounters that we have with other people. Now again, we never try to force things down people's throats. We never, we never push things on others. We always serve people unconditionally, with no strings attached. We don't have an ulterior motive. But it means that as we serve others, we just allow our faith to come to the fore. I heard a great example of how this happened recently. Uh, there's a couple of women in our church who volunteer in a retirement village. And recently, one of the residents in that retirement village passed away. And at his funeral, a family member stood up and talked about the fact that in recent days, he'd started praying. And he'd talked to her about the fact that he'd, he'd prayed and also that apparently he'd heard from God. And she said to him, well, what, what had God been saying to you? And he said, well, I'm not really sure because my hearing aid wasn't turned up properly. But it transpired that, that he seemed to have had a bit of a spiritual awakening in recent times. And we traced it back and figured out that one of these women from our church that had been spending time in this retirement village had been having a number of interactions with him and had prayed with him and had visited him and had just been a positive Christian presence there and had really taken an interest in some of the spiritual conversations that she was able to have. And it seems like through that, this, this faith that maybe was already there latently for him had come to the surface and had, he'd been able to own his faith in a new way. And it was partly because of the influence that this woman was able to have in his life. And she's volunteering simply out of love and kindness, meeting practical needs, but she's doing it in Jesus' name. And she's doing it with her faith front and center. So as we do journey with people, as we seek to meet people's needs and, and walk the road with them, let's just wear our faith as we do that. And let, let's be aware as the opportunities come up to say a word, Maybe to pray or even just to let the person know that we're praying for them so that our faith can be seen, our faith can be visible, and ultimately we're not just offering people a piece of bread, we're offering them the bread of life. That is their deepest and most ultimate need. In the first few centuries AD, there were a number of plagues and pandemics that swept throughout the Roman Empire. And these were pretty deadly pandemics. It's estimated that the death rate was between 7 and 50% for these plagues. So they just decimated whole communities. Millions and millions of people died as a result of these plagues. But as historians have looked back on those times, they've noticed that churches and Christians really stepped up during that time. Let me read you, let me finish by reading what one historian says about the church during those days. He says, Most of our brother Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of one another. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. Many in nursing and curing others, transferred their death to themselves and died in their stead, in every way the equal of martyrdom. That's the legacy that Christians have had 
down through the centuries. Incredible, sacrificial, self-giving love towards others. And of course, in those days, there was very little understanding of how viruses are transmitted. There was no social distancing, no face masks, nothing like that. But these Christians just just sought to, to love others selflessly in Jesus' name. And we want, as historians look back on this moment in history, to be able to say the church stepped up. We didn't lurk in the shadows. We didn't hold back. But Christians stepped up and, and, and stepped forward. And again, that, that doesn't mean that we violate any health advice. It just means that we show the love of Christ wherever and however we can. I pray that's the kind of church that we would increasingly become. I pray that's the kind of Christians that we would increasingly become. It doesn't mean waiting for any particular program or needing any particular structure. It's everyday stuff. It's grassroots stuff. It's just looking at the people in our neighborhoods, in our schools, universities, workplaces, social circles, wherever they are, and asking, how can I journey with others, meet them at their point of need, and point them ultimately towards Christ? And we do all this with the assurance that Jesus is with us, that he goes before us, and he speaks those words into our hearts, fear not. I pray you could hear those words this morning, spoken deeply into your soul. And I pray that would not only encourage you, but it would then turn you outward to share and show the love of Jesus with a broken and a hurting world. Let's pray. God, we hear your call this morning to face outward to the world. And we want to be Christians who, in these times, don't just look out for our own interests and our own families. God, we, we want to do that. We want to look after those close to us. But Jesus, we also pray you would turn us towards the world and face us towards those around us with love and with kindness. God, bring to our minds now, bring to our hearts now, the ways in which you would have us work this out in practice, in action. Show us how we can meet people at their point of need. Show us how we can do this genuinely and authentically, not under compulsion, not out of legalism, not out of obligation, but because you, God, have been so kind to us, so gracious to us, and out of the grace we've received, out of the love we've received, we just want to share and show your love with those around us. Send us out into your world as your ambassadors this week, we pray. We pray this for your glory and in your name. Amen. This has been a teaching message from Shaw Community Church. For more of our teaching resources, or to donate to our teaching resource ministry, or for more information on Shaw Community Church, visit www.shaw.org.nz. Alternatively, you can email office at shaw.org.nz or phone 09 415 0455. Thank you for listening.